Welcome to our 10 a.m. service. And in July, if you come at 10 a.m., like we've been saying for the past several weeks, you'll be 30 minutes late. Because starting in July, our services are at 9.30 in the morning. And if you walk in late, from the front, we'll kind of give you a look like this, and then everyone will know you did something wrong. So don't do that. Also, this morning, as you notice, the communion supplies... We're going to be having communion, and there's a couple tables in the front and a couple tables in the back. How that works is when we start, we like you, if you're in the back half, to kind of move to the sides and go by and get the elements and then um, take them and then come back down the middle to your seat. And if you're in the front, move to the side, come to the front, take the elements on your own, and then go back to your seat down the middle. A couple rules and reminders... If you drop a piece of bread into the grape juice, we keep hitting on this because it keeps happening. (laughs) If you drop a piece of bread into the grape juice, don't, don't go in after it, okay? Just get another piece, dip it, and do it. There's, there's nothing sacrilegious about just letting it float. We don't live in a culture where when we shake hands, we stick our fingers in each other's mouths, and this is not something we want to participate in, okay? So just let it go, let it float, get another piece. There's plenty. We even have two services, so there's extra. We can bring more out if we need. Don't have to go in after it, wrist deep, okay? My brother-in-law has dropped a piece before, and he just let it go. There's also gluten-free bread in the little chalices. Now, gluten is a disease that some people have that causes the celia in their stomach to lay down and not digest food. So if you don't have celiac disease or a gluten allergy, don't take it. Take the regular bread and leave the gluten-free bread for people who need that, okay? That was me being a fourth-grade teacher to you all this morning, and I apologize. Um, so I have a few mentors in my life and what I do with mentors is I try to find people who are further along than I am. So if I'm here in any specific area, they're here and they can kind of help me get caught up. And I don't know a lot of things about what's happening with the kingdom. And so I try to find people who know a lot about what's happening in the kingdom of God, especially if I'm going to teach on something that comes out of that realm. One of the things that a few of my mentors have been telling me is, Rod, you have a prophetic gifting, which means I can tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl next year, and I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Miami Heat will win the NBA Finals. Sorry, it's my gifting. Just kidding, totally kidding. What I'm learning that that means is that sometimes when I craft a sermon and I find myself just sitting there waiting to see what comes in my head, that's actually just waiting to see what God has to say. And I've found experientially and had this explained to me 
that sometimes what God says is specific for people, specific people or specific bodies. And so when that happens, there's, there's opportunity for catalytic movement or um, someone embracing something that's said as opposed to hearing a really good teaching that follows the path of a sermon and then moving forward out of that. The reason I say that this morning is because I've really been wrestling with this sermon this morning because as I sat down to pray about it, I felt like God said there's going to be some big freedom in some people's lives. And that's not going to be credit to me. There's going to be some big freedom in people's lives. And so I understand that it's Father's Day and around, churches around the nation are going to be preaching Father's Day sermons and a lot of them are going to be similar and this is somewhat like that, but there's a little more potential if we can embrace the things that God has to say to us. But I also want to ask you to be very careful with what I say and check it in your spirit and check it in the word and check it with your friends and check it with your mentors because if God is saying something to you specifically, it's important that you care for that. And if he's not, it's important that you completely disregard it. Because the truth of the matter is we don't live in a world that just is kind of neither here nor there when people speak. The word of God says that the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. And it can say something that can turn an entire ship. Which means that I can say something to you that if you just jump in on it, it can turn your entire ship in life's direction and send you in a direction. And if you don't allow it to, it won't. But if you're supposed to allow it to, and you don't, then you're in a bad spot. And so I want to take a moment this morning and just ask you if you would respect this enough to just spend some time asking God to speak to you, as opposed to Rod. And if he decides to speak to you, some some big things hopefully can happen. So let's just spend a couple minutes in silence doing that. Um, And if the babies decide to pray they'll probably do it louder than us, and that's okay. Yeah, Lord, speak to us this morning, because when you speak, things happen. When we talk, um, we have conversations, and we can grow from those things, but when you speak, stuff comes from nothing. And so we ask for that this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I do that because it helps me acknowledge kind of the the place I've been given and, and be humble with it. I hope you don't mind us being a little heavy this morning, not a lot of jokes, not a lot of coming up for air, Um, hopefully we can dive into some things that that are big. Jehoshaphat will come up on a slide in a minute, his name, anyways, there he is. Jehoshaphat is found in the book of Kings and the book of 2 Chronicles. 
And he was one of the most respected kings in all of biblical history. And there's a couple reasons for that. And one of the reasons is because the Lord was with him. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, starting in verse 3, we read this. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father. He did not seek the Baals, but he sought God and walked in his commandments. And not according to the ways of Israel, who was living in evil at the time. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Judah. And he had great riches, and he had great honor. And his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and he removed all of the idols from Judah. We're talking about a king who in his kingdom sets up a system that removes every possible thing that does not glorify God. Every idol, anything that gets in the way of the worship of Almighty God, this king removed. That's a pretty big deal. And I would vote for him for president. It goes on to say in 2 Chronicles that in the third year, only the third year of his reign as king, he sent out his officials. And 2 Chronicles lists a bunch of awkward names that Rob would recommend you name your babies. And he sent all of these officials out, and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord. They went through all the cities of Judah, and they taught among the people. So we have a king who removes all of the idols and all of the things that come against God in his entire land, and then he sets up spiritually mature people, not in his church, not in his family, in his entire country, to go out and disciple the nation. So we have a king who set up a structure that disciples and grows his entire nation to love the Lord. Then, 2 Chronicles says that the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms and all the lands that surrounded Judah. And they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. And not only did they just not make war, some of the Philistines, and we know about the Philistines, they were big. Some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents, and they brought him silver as a tribute. And the Arabs, who he was fighting at the time, who would not fight him, also brought him 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. And I don't know what that means to be a male goat versus a female goat. And I don't want 7,700 of them. But he did, probably. And instead, instead of fighting him, they're bringing him gifts. And Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. He built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. And he carried out great works in the city of Judah. He removed everything that was an idol in his entire country. He sent out people to disciple every person in his entire nation. And his enemies were not only afraid to fight him, they brought him gifts. Some historians say 
that Jehoshaphat's 25-year reign glowed with devotion to the Lord. And they also say that he never once fell to pagan religions. He never once fell to idol worship. He never once fell to the sins and the things that plagued all of these surrounding countries. And so you know exactly where I'm going with this. Because it's Father's Day. Why do you think Jehoshaphat had such success? Any guesses? Jehoshaphat had a daddy named Asa. It'll pop up there. And when Asa was a young man and he became king of Judah, there was a prophet named Azariah who came to Asa. And he said, Asa, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, you'll be found by him. But if you abandon him, he'll abandon you. And Asa heard those words, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 it says, He took courage, he put away all the idols from his land, And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken. Then he gathered all of the tribes around him of the people who had been outcast. And he gathered them together. And in great numbers they gathered and they sacrificed to the Lord in Jerusalem. And they committed to love the Lord with all their heart and their soul and their mind. An entire nation... An entire nation. So typically a Father's Day sermon would end like this. Look at Jehoshaphat. He's awesome. That's because of his dad. Anyone in here have an awesome daddy who did something like that for them? Praise God. Praise the Lord. And so the message goes like this. If you had an awesome dad who served the Lord and loved the Lord then you are probably living an awesome life. And he established a kingdom, and you are now living in that kingdom. And your reign may even be longer than your father's reign, but you are living in freedom because of your father, and we get pumped. And if you didn't have an awesome dad, you're screwed. If you didn't have an awesome dad, he probably did some stuff that set you up for failure. And because of that, you've just failed. And you're just never going to get over it because you're not strong enough unless you read your Bible more, which is hard enough. Because who wants to read Second Chronicles? But here's where this story takes a really deliberate turn. And this is why I think God wrote it, just so we could know, and so we wouldn't stop. And this is why I think he talks about generations. Asa had a daddy too, and his name was Abijah. And Abijah was a really goofy guy. In 1 Kings 15, we read this. 
In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, Abijah became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem three years. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. I did some research on Abijah, and here's what I found. Jeroboam was also an evil king, and they were fighting. And Jeroboam was king of Israel at the time, and he had established golden calves and tons of idols that he believed would help him in war. And they came to fight at one time, and Abijah says something like, We fight in the name of the Lord God. And he completely annihilates Jeroboam and takes over his kingdom. And you think he's an awesome king. But then he forgets to do something. He forgets to go through that kingdom and land and destroy all of the idols. He left them there. And I can see the people in Abijah's land and Abijah himself kind of walking around the city and there's these giant idols and they try not to look. That's not the God we serve. We're just going we're gonna to try to avoid him and not look. But he never went through and just cut them down and got rid of them. And that's what we read about Asa doing. The reason that Asa had to take idols down and get rid of them all is because his daddy didn't do it. His dad didn't put in the work, and so he had to do it. And there's something redeeming about that, because here's where we live. Either our dads were awesome, and we live in their awesomeness, or our parents were messed up, and we lug around all of their junk for the rest of our lives. And we don't want to put it off onto our kids, or we don't want to put it off onto the people around us, but we can't help it. And so we do anyways. And it's like there's this giant idol that has authority over our land, and we try not to look at it. That was my life for a really long time. Really long time. My, uh, my great-grandpa was an adulterer and a womanizer, um, and my grandpa cheated on his wife and sent my dad pornography when my dad got married, and then my dad was affected by all of that and went to Vietnam and did all the stuff that you would typically do in Vietnam if you didn't know the Lord and had a dad that taught you that that stuff was okay. And then comes me. And I didn't cheat on my wife, I didn't, I didn't do those things, but every once in a while pornography just kind of rears its ugly head. And it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a sexual like, temptation, like I'm driving down the road and I see a billboard and I look and then I look again and I'm like, probably shouldn't have done that. It was something that had authority because it had been allowed in my generations to have authority. It's something that when you don't want it to and you can't control it, it reaches out of a dark corner when you feel hungry or angry or lonely or tired and it grabs you by the throat. And then it, it, it picks you up and it just slams you on the ground. 
It's just completely out of your control because it's a giant idol that's been put there and it's completely out of your control. And so you walk by, you try not to look at it. I don't want to see that. I need to avoid it. I need to perform. Maybe if I read my Bible more, maybe if I pray more, maybe if I develop a better, better relationship, but it's still there and it just slams you around. But Asa got sick of that. Asa got sick of it, and he took a measure of his land, and he went through, and he just started chopping down idols and getting rid of them. And as a result, we see a son who reigned for 25 years without once falling to the pagan religions and things around him. My story happened in a phone call. Dad, you have authority over this family and I need you to pray for healing because we need to take control of this thing right now. And he did. And I can't explain to you the difference. I'm not talking about performance-based perfection, okay? I'm talking about when something grabs you by the throat and throws you around and it just keeps doing it, whether it be anger, whether it be pornography, whether it be shame, doesn't matter. It grabs you by the throat and it throws you around and you can't control it. And then in an instant, because, because my father decided to take authority for my behalf, it's gone. I can't explain it other than that. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about authority. When God created the world, he created a kingdom. And when he created that kingdom, he said that human beings were rulers in that kingdom. And everything in all of creation belongs under the feet of the people who he created. His will for us is that nothing holds authority over our heads, but that everything in all of creation, because that's what he made it to do, is put under our feet. And that's what Asa did. His daddy didn't do it, but when he did it, it started to change things. And his son was able to be the ruler that God had created him to be with everything under his feet. With everything under his feet. Isaac Belts is one of my best friends in the whole world. He's Dorian Belts' son. Fifth grade? Going into seventh. We're not that close, I guess. Isaac is going into seventh, and he thinks that his time with Legos is done. So he started to put his Legos in a box, and I'm going to call him out next service when he's here. Because when I was a kid, and there were Legos in a room, it didn't matter if the most elaborate castle had been built. It could be beautiful. If I saw those Legos, and I was given permission to play with them, I would rip them completely apart, and I would start building something new. I would start building a new foundation because I was created to be king 
of those Legos. I was created to build foundations and kingdoms. I was created to be the one who established everything, and I wasn't going to move into another castle that someone else had built. Every Lego was coming off that big green flat thing, and I was starting again. And I was choosing the colors, and I was making the walls extra thick because a hurricane wasn't even going to blow this thing over. It usually ended up being about that tall but indestructible. And I don't want Isaac Belts to miss that. He was created to build foundations to lay them. Since the creation of the world, God is on a mission to create new lineage. And he wants to use you. And some of you have been a part of that, and some of you are about to be a part of that. In the kingdom of God, those are the only two options. Some of you have been a part of that, and some of you are about to be a part of that. There's no difference if you're Asa or if you're Jehoshaphat. And if you've been Abijah, and you say, but now my kids are 59 years old, I would challenge you in this way. I wonder if God doesn't work in time. I wonder if his miracles transcend time and that if you as a parent would begin to relay your foundation and ask for the miracle God who can make all things new to breathe life into your situation, I wonder if you would see something different in your kids. I have a friend, Brian, who comes here who that just happened to and I wish I would have asked him to share this story. And some of the things that I mentioned are dark. Some of those idols. And so I could sense as I was praying about this sermon that as I started to talk about some darker things, there would be maybe some wives who would say, yeah, I hate this. I hate that my husband struggles with this stuff. And I'm mad at him. And I hope he's listening and clinging to every word that Rod says. And when we leave this this afternoon, I hope that it is gone. Because if it's not, I'm going to be so angry at him. Because he's heard everything he needs to hear. And the bitterness makes me want to run away. There is a difference between getting on your knees and praying for the God of miracles to intervene in a situation. Than speaking bitterness and telling someone that they're causing dark roots to grow. There's a big difference and it's called faith versus fear. So this morning there's going to be a prayer team up here. And part of the reason I wrestled with this sermon so much is because I felt like there were going to be men coming in with chains around their ankles. With heaviness. Scared to walk to the front because of the invisible stones that have been thrown at them their whole life. Scared to stop managing the way that they talk about their struggles because of the invisible stones that have been hurled at them. Scared to be ruthlessly honest and to ask someone to intervene for them and call a miraculous God to fight for them. But then God said, it's going to happen. 
there will be freedom. And that's my risk. That's the risk I take this morning. It's awesome when the authority of something that has been grabbing you by the throat and slamming you around is taken away. You go from prisoner to king. I am not talking about perfection. I'm talking about authority. So this morning we're going to take communion and then we're going to be led into a time of worship. And Asa was simply a foreshadowing of thousands of years later when our father would send his son to come down and say, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this and remember me. And this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It can wash you clean because God came to set people free. If there is one premise in the Bible, in the scripture, that we can grab onto, that we can hold to and hope for no matter what our situation, it is this. God came to set people free. He did it with Asa. And that led to freedom with Jehoshaphat. And then he did it with all of us through his son. So happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to a God who wants to restructure our lineage. Not because of what your father or his father or his father did. But because he simply wants us to give us the freedom to get a brand new big green Lego thing and start over with our life. It doesn't matter what's been grabbing you by the throat. It was not meant to have authority over you. Again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about authority. And we are created as kings. And there's only one type of person in God's kingdom, and it is a king. So as we take communion this morning, let's just know that God came to set us free. And that's a big deal. And if you want to take a risk and ask somebody who knows how to pray, to pray over you and claim some authority in your life that needs to be claimed that God intended for you to have since the day you were born and before the creation of the world, take a risk because it is so worth it.